love has done its part And let him reign in my life and my heart If love has done its part Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. I think Lee's story is really going to bless you. And uh, Lee, why don't you just tell us about yourself and kind of where you've come from and, and maybe what you're doing now in terms of uh, ministry. Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, I'll start with where I'm at now. Now we're uh, working on a ministry called Shadow of His Wings Ministry, and it kind of came out of uh, not only a, a desire to help others with uh, same-sex attraction, but also to help people who've had any kind of sexual abuse or sexual trauma or sexual addiction. So that's kind of where we're at now. Um, I think uh, I think this has always been important to me because it is something that I've struggled with a long time. Um, I don't know. I think one of the biggest issue, uh, differences between heterosexual addiction, sexual addictions, and same-sex attraction is that somehow along the line, identity gets stuck in there. Mm. Uh, I think same-sex attraction affects a person's identity, whereas I'm not sure it happens the same way for, for heterosexual attraction. Explain that a little bit more. How do, you, how do you feel it affects identity? Well, I remember at a, at a young age, uh, maybe even as... as older, as young as seven or eight, feeling that my identity was being tampered with, Mm. uh, that I felt less than as a man. Um, And I think uh, I get... Even as a kid? Even even as a kid. Yeah. I mean, even as a kid, I remembered feeling that there wasn't, there was something I wasn't going to be able to quite measure up to. And I think that kind of gets planted. I think that that seed gets planted by by the father in the family. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just, it, I don't know that my dad did it on purpose. I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just part of the way that he and I interacted. It was just a, a place of, I'm not sure I can relate to this guy. And so because of that identity issue, uh, as I hit puberty... Uh, around 12 and 13, then it wasn't, it was a struggle, but it was, uh, it was a struggle between knowing, am I attracted to girls? Am I attracted to guys? Um, and unfortunately at the time there was, um, there was availability of both that, of, of that uh, kind of pornography in our house. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of opened doors at that point to experiment with both. And I think because of my identity issue, I just tended to drift to one, to, to, to homosexual pornography. And so it was around uh, age 13 that you really kind of started going in that direction? or Right. I think the identity issue had led me up to that place. You know, I, I don't know. I don't like to blame everything on Satan, but I got to say, I sure. don't. I think he's definitely 
uh, his his dominion begins to take children at a young age and begins to groom them and set them up into situations. And without a strong family background, without a strong Christian family who's helping that kid in other ways, I think they tend to follow in whatever footsteps are set before them. And um, I think because of my dad and I not having a great relationship and my mom and I having a great relationship, uh, sometimes a too great relationship, uh, mm-hmm. too connected, then I just started uh, identifying more towards her. Mm. And uh, she and I would do more things together, and I think she tried to overcompensate at times uh, for my lack of interest in doing things with my dad. And so she would say, well, hey, let's go shopping. And so, you know, I became great at going shopping and going to the grocery store, but never did too many, never became too well-versed in how to help work on the car in the backyard or, you know, how to fix the fence or those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just drifted more towards the feminine. And a lot of my friends were female. And so as I began to grow into that, I don't know that I knew really how to relate to other guys. Uh, I think I tried, but I don't know that it was really a successful event. I think it was much easier because that's what I'd known to to kind of work into relationships with girls. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that, I think, is where the identity even gets further cemented into, see, I can't relate to guys. I can only relate in this way. And so girls, in my opinion, never had that mystery that I think most guys go through as they reach puberty, that mystery they want to get to know them, they are attracted to them. I mean, I dated and I had that that feeling for a while of, wow, I want to go out with this girl or I want to go out with that girl. But I think I always felt too uncomfortable and I didn't have somebody else to kind of be a sounding board for that. Mm-hmm. Now, through like junior high and high school, were, um, were, you, were you kind of still playing the part of what everybody would expect a boy to be. I think I played it as best I could. I think I think you know, I went through struggles through junior high and high school of being called a fag or being called mm-hmm. a sissy because I think my identity was just way too wrapped up in the feminine. And I think other kids see that real quickly. I mean, they know that real quickly. And I think uh just from what I've learned as being an adult now is that I think women even see that. Mm-hmm. And they feel uncomfortable about that. I mean, it's okay to have that kind of a man as a good friend, but at some point it doesn't feel very good to have him as a in a relationship. Yeah, you're a safe friend. Right. Because you're not threatening in a sexual sort of way. Exactly. But uh, but you're. it seems like maybe there's a little apprehension in terms of taking any sort of relationship to a certain level. Exactly. Oh, I think it's it's empty. I yeah. think for a woman it's very empty. Because she doesn't feel that sexual energy. All she feels is the friend energy. All mm-hmm. she feels is not, wow, I I want you. I want to cherish you. I want to be with you. All she feels is, hey, let's go out for a soda mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. or let's go shopping. you know. So then I guess during these years, was, uh, was everything you were feeling a complete secret? Yes, everything was a okay, secret. So parents didn't know. Friends didn't know. No. Uh, and... And my parents have asked me, I've talked to them recently, since then, and they've asked me, why didn't I say something, you know? But, you know, the pornography that I got into, you know, there was playboys and there was a playgirl, and I just happened to drift more to one. Now, how they knew or how they didn't know I was looking at them, because I would suspect, you know, at some point you kind of realize when they're shuffled and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. rearranged. But, you know, I think I think for them it was more of a, I don't know why you didn't come to us. But I think there's a lot of shame to it. And Mm -hmm. I think I grew up in a family knowing that homosexuality was wrong. 
being gay was a wrong thing. And so I didn't know how to handle it, and I don't think I knew how they would handle it. Mm-hmm. And I think in some families, and I'm not saying necessarily uh, that my parents knew that this was happening, but I think in some families, kids learn what's acceptable and what will be okay to talk about and what won't be okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. And what you will be accepted in love for regardless and what you won't be accepted in love for regardless. And a lot of times, don't you learn that not necessarily by what is said, but by what is not said. Exactly. And so, that was the unwritten communication exactly. was, we love you as long as you're this way, this way, and this way. It was very unwritten, so but like, I, I think I knew that. It's like, as long as you meet the expectations that we have for you as a son, we've got affection and love for you. But as soon as you step outside of that, and I'm imagining you felt like your your private feelings stepped outside of those expectations oh, definitely. of what your parents had for you. Definitely. I mean, there was a time in my life when I was probably six that I started dressing up in women's, you know, girls' clothing. I used to go in my mom's closet and take stuff out of her closet and dress up. Uh, I remember a time when I was in the second or third grade, I just begged her for a wig, you know. They mm-hmm. were having the carnival, and they had this wig walk. Now, why schools have wig walks, I don't know, but it was usually the cake walks, but, you know. And I just begged my parents for to get me this wig, and I, they ultimately got it, but nobody ever talked to me about, you know, this is this is not something you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I guess I, I offer now to, to, to people in those situations that parents should help their kids steer into other directions. You know, you don't shame them for it. You don't say bad things. You don't, But you do talk to them about, you know, this may not be the best thing for you. And then you just kind of try to redirect them instead of, hey, you know, go in there and dress up. Hey, why don't you and I go outside and we'll go play the play baseball together. Mm-hmm. Or, no, I don't want to play baseball. You know, whatever happens. Sure. But, you know, it just depends. Well, let me ask you this. During, during let's say, those, those school years, mm-hmm. Um, how did the how did the behaviors progress? The sexual behaviors progressed as I got into into puberty. I think doors just began being opened for things that that were just leading me down deeper and deeper into this path. Was uh, most of it was most of it in those years just pornography, or did it go beyond that? From thirteen to about fifteen, it was. Uh, pretty compulsive masturbation and and pornography. Mm -hmm. Any chance I had to be alone in the house, which was pretty frequently because my mom worked, and so if I got home from school, you know, and went in, and or I was left alone for even a couple of hours, the magazines would come out, and compulsive masturbation started Mm -hmm. at that point. And then around the age of 15, um, I was able to go to, I went, got a job, uh, worked for a little while, and then went to work at another place and ended up going to a public restroom one day in the mall mm-hmm. and um, just going for no reason except to use the restroom and got there and while I was there there was a guy in the other stall and he reached under the stall and began rubbing my leg and then tried to reach up for more and I I got scared I got out of there but I think that seed began to get planted. Mm-hmm. And so each time I went back to work, I thought, why would that guy be doing that? And what what is going on in there? And, again, Satan kind of planting that seed and me going back and realizing, oh, and there's more that goes on in this restroom than just mm-hmm. uh, what's supposed to go on here. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Because, c- you know, sexual addiction is progressive. Right. You know, whether it's, whether it's heterosexual, same sex, whatever. It's progressive, and there's always there's always these breaking points. You know, it may start with 
pornography and then and then that kind of leads to the behavior of masturbation and then there seems to be this this um this thin barrier between self sex and then involving another person what was that transition like for you i mean was there a lot of fear associated with that was there i mean what was that like to go from the the self sex into having other people involved in the process well i think that's a great a great question i think i think it's it it's was scary but i've come to learn that the the outward rea- outward actions are really just more of a a symptom of the inward problem and i was just lonely mm-hmm. i had no male companionship no male friends hardly my dad and i didn't do anything together and so here was this chance for me to have male intimacy mm-hmm. and it was free and it was without any strings attached i didn't have to be anything i didn't have to do anything I just had to sit there and see what happened. And do you feel like that's where, because you mentioned earlier that, that what struck you the most in terms of your struggle was the identity issue. And do you feel like that's where the line got blurred between what you might consider healthy male intimacy and your sexuality being involved in that male intimacy? Most like definitely. Your, like your identity was all wrapped up into this somehow your identity as a man also got intertwined with your sexuality in a way that was only con- wanting to connect with men? Is that? Yes, I think what happens there, and I've seen this myself and others, is that it's easy to have male sex. It's very, it's very quick. It's very easy. You don't have to know that person. But I think for the person who struggles with same-sex attraction, it somehow gets caught up in, well, if they want my body, if they want to be with me sexually, that must mean that somehow I'm a man to them. Mm. And so that identity gets cut, you know, kind of caught up in there where then it's like, well, and then I, I get that secondary gain of being close to a man, of being physical with a man. It's, you know, because I, you know, I remember thinking one day, uh, not oh, a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, I don't remember my dad and I ever, you know, wrestling or doing anything without mm-hmm. his shirt on and my, without my shirt on. You know, it wasn't, I never remember that closeness of just being able to say, wow, this is me being a, a, a man. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is me being a man with my dad. We're just whether you're eight or whether you're ten, fifteen, whatever, just hanging out with dad and and not feeling ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of that, and so I think that being part of that identity, as soon as I had an opportunity to do that with someone, it began to fill that that unmet need. Well, take us through then. You know, from fifteen on, where did it progress? When did you, you know, when did you hit bottom, or when did you start realizing that this was not the direction you needed to go in your life? I mean, kind of take us through the next okay. phase. I think I always knew it wasn't where God wanted me. I was saved at the age of seven. I grew up in the church. I think I knew all along that this is not where God wanted, but I didn't know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. I remember around the age of 19 or 20 going to a counselor and saying, I'm doing this. I don't know what to do about it. I don't want it to stop. It was a secular counselor. He kind of talked to me about, you know, um, imagining myself differently and doing imagery work and that just didn't do a thing for me <laughs> except frustrate me and sure. and and I went through periods uh 15 16 years old I was masturbating in a public restroom probably every day 
Mm-hmm. I was there every day, just about every day I worked, I was there. If I wasn't there and I had gotten a car by then, I was making excuses for doing, you know, going places or getting out of the house and, and probably doing it then as well. Um, and that continued until I was probably 19 or 20, around the time I decided this is ridiculous, uh, I can't do this. I remember even being in a public restroom one time and some friends of mine from school walked in and I thought, oh my gosh, Lord, if I mm-hmm. if I get caught here, I'm in trouble, you know, because there was somebody right next door doing stuff and and I just remembered all that stuff and going, this is crazy, but I never could, I never knew how to stop it at that point. But around 19 or 20, I tried to, you know, get help and tried to find a place and didn't find it there, talked to a Christian counselor. Um, he said, well, you just need to read the Bible more and let me give you some verses. And I, if you pray, I'm sure it'll go away. And, you know. How'd that work for you? <laughs> that was that was crap, <laughs> to yeah, be exactly. honest with you. I mean, at that point, then I think my God relationship identity started being affected mm-hmm. because I truly thought God is my heavenly father didn't care either. Mm-hmm. And I told him that. I said, I don't think you care. I think you gave me this problem or you don't know how to fix it either. And I didn't know how to change it. I remember sitting in restrooms going, Lord, if you if you want me to be different, you're going to have to do something here. And I knew it. I see now that it was my choice to be there, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to get out of it. And um, I joined Young Life at that point in college. Uh, it was a great place. It helped me to break free of it a little bit, to get away from it. it gave me some stronger male uh, connections, mm-hmm. and I think that helped a lot. Uh, I nobody knew. Still didn't tell anybody about it because I wasn't going to tell. Uh, I was Lee Preston on the outside, good Christian guy. But behind closed doors, I was doing all this junk. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went through that for a year or so, uh, met my first wife, and um, she and I began dating. Again, I look back now on that, and I see that, you know, it was a, it was destined to fail because mm. I didn't know how to be a husband, and I really didn't know how to be a man. And I had used sex and compulsive masturbation and meeting guys anytime I got frustrated angry sad worried about anything that was my escape Mm. and so adding a new person to that in the marriage only caused more problems Mm -hmm. Uh, I tried to get into a group at that time I told her all about it even before we got married and helped her to you know see that oh no I'm really a great person and I'm a Christian and I really just don't want to do this anymore and she picked up the mantle of oh I'll help you change and mm-hmm. and that just doesn't work either uh, and and I didn't know that at the time but we were married about nine years and um, off and on just I cheated throughout the entire marriage mm-hmm. uh, didn't know how to stop uh, would get into a, a group and and would try to do things differently and got into a, an identity ministry at one point uh, in, in Texas here, and and it just, I didn't feel that, I didn't know how to change it, and this, this mm-hmm. group didn't seem to know how to change it either. I mean, it was a more of a 12-step group. You go in, you tell everybody what you've done that week, but there wasn't really any strong accountability behind it. So anyway, long story short, that happened. Um, she finally got tired of it because I've told her everything that had happened and said I'm leaving and she took my daughter we had a we have a, a daughter together and so she took her and said I'm moving I'm out of here and at that point you know I think you would have thought I would have hit rock bottom but uh and I think I did for about a year I struggled but I just really was trying to be good for her to come back mm-hmm. and I don't think she bought it you know she never came back um 
And so there's a point at that time in my life where I said, well, forget it. You know, God, you don't, I don't have a marriage anymore. You know, I don't get to see my daughter, but every other weekend. So you really must have made me gay, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be that way. And I went off into it and um, ended up meeting a guy and lived with him. Didn't really live with him because I had my daughter, and I always knew I didn't want her to see any of this. Mm-hmm. But for about three years, he and I were together uh, until... Interesting enough, I started uh, reading a book called uh, The Prayer of Jabez mm. and started praying it and saying, okay, God, I've been in this long enough. I don't know what you want me to do here, but something's got to change. And I was at my sister's one night and I prayed that prayer uh, again. And I just decided that night, you know, this has got to stop. The mm-hmm. relationship's got to stop. I have to take responsibility for my peace in this. I may not know how to stop right now, but I've got to figure out how. Mm-hmm. And um, interestingly enough, I got back. She was in another city. I got back to San Antonio here, uh, got online thinking I'm going to have one last fling, not with him, but with somebody before I say I'm out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that last, you know. Going to get that last thing in. Yeah, rational thoughts aren't part of the addiction, is it? That's right. That's right. Very, very irrational, but thinking, you know what? God's told me I'm getting out. It's kind of like you're on a diet. One last chocolate cake (laughs) before I get out of this. And I got online, and I'm talking and chatting, and this guy says, sure, you know, let's meet up. And and I says, well, what's your telephone number? Well, he gives me his telephone number, and it's the telephone number of the guy I'm with the guy I'm in the relationship with. So I realized, wow, he's been online trying to hook up with other people too. Wow. And so I call the number and I say, listen, you know, I know you just talked to me. I'm so-and-so online. You're so-and-so online. And he says, oh, wow. I said, yeah, I know you've been doing this. I was doing the same thing. I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I know it's wrong. This is the final straw. Mm -hmm. So... After that, I got into the REACH group here in in San Antonio. It's no longer around, but I got into the REACH group, and uh, I really tried to do the program this time. And uh, but I think what really helped me is I, I went to one of my uh, Christian brothers at my church and and said, "Hey, I need help with this. I don't know how to stop it." He has no struggle with uh, this attraction or with addictions at all, and as far as I knew, and I just said, "I need your help because I." I, and I was sitting around the table with about five guys, and I'm thinking, they are going to think I'm the worst in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not only am I saying I'm struggling with a sex addiction, but I also am struggling with same-sex attraction. And But I just dumped it on the table one morning at breakfast at a gym here in town. Mm-hmm. And, and he was very open and willing to hear, and he said, hey you know what, we're no better than you, we'll work through this. And it was what a, did, a great change. What did that do for you when you were able to tell some other guys that that they don't necessarily connect with your particular struggle, but they didn't run away from you? Well, I think uh, darkness loves the darkness. And as soon as the light shone through, I think shame, part of the shame was lifted off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that keeps people in this cycle. Did least. you feel? Did you feel a sense of of hope after being that vulnerable and you know you're putting yourself out there with a bunch of guys that that you don't know what their struggles are but you're pretty certain it's not what your struggle is and obviously there's fear with that and when they move toward you did you feel a sense of hope and acceptance and like did did anything quicken in you about well maybe I'm a real man maybe I you know I think that's a I think I, th- I don't know that I got to the place of thinking, wow, maybe I'm a real man, but I think I did think, 
wow, these real men must still love and care about me on some level, otherwise they would have gotten up mm-hmm. and left the table just by hearing this. Yeah. And I, I'm so, I guess I see that as God's hand in each time healing a piece each mm-hmm. time that I came forward and talked to somebody about well, it. Well, it must have been great just to get something from a man that uh, you didn't get from your father, you didn't get from any of these relationships you were in in the in the sexual aspect, and yet you, when you basically put all your garbage out, you got what you needed from other. I mean, it's it's almost contrary to what you would think would bring what you ultimately need in your life. Yeah, let me dump, let me throw up on this other guy, all of my darkness, all of my junk, and yet he moves toward me. He embraces me. Says we're gonna we're gonna work through this. It's, it's an amazing feeling, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't as some may already know. It doesn't take the addiction away right away. Sure, but it certainly gives hope there for wow. You know, if I do run into this, I can talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. And he was great. I mean, he gave me uh, he gave me a lot of accountability and and not accountability like oh I understand your struggle, but accountability like you know, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. this isn't who you are. And that's, I think, where... Kind of tough love type stuff. Exactly. And and not only tough love, but changing the identity thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I could say things like, you know, I just have this feeling. Well, you don't. That's not who you are, Lee. Mm-hmm. You know that's not who you are. That may be what you feel, but you know that's not who God's made you. God's made you to be a man. And it was amazing over this period of time how that healing... Those words poured over me and began to change it. And I'm not saying it happened overnight. I don't want to give any listener this idea that, oh, wow, you know, all he took was Snap this one guy and, and yeah. it was all over. Yeah. It wasn't. It took about, oh, about five years after that of just going to him and being in a group of guys and working with other groups like uh, the group that, that Steve had and this these groups where I could just really relate to guys not only because I had a sexual addiction but also talk to them about my same-sex mm-hmm. attraction, and I wasn't like, ooh, get out of here. We sure, don't want yeah. you around. Well, let me, uh, in our last, uh, we got about a minute left, and I want I want to ask you one very important question. I don't know if you can answer in a minute. But do you believe that complete transformation is possible for those who struggle with same-sex attraction? Absolutely. I am married today. I have a true help meet. Uh, she meets my needs. We have a wonderful relationship. Uh, she was part of my healing. She helped me in pointing things out that I needed to see. She truly helped sharpen me. And uh, it, it it took men and a good woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that not that my first wife wasn't good, but I'm saying a, a woman who was who was really listening to God and knew how to listen to Him to say, "Wait a minute, you know, mm-hmm. look at what you're doing here. Look at this." And God slowly transformed the whole picture. So definitely transformation. Excellent. Complete transformation is definitely an option. We are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener-supported, and all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart. Your love has done its part. 
let him lay 